Welcome. You're listening to Full Quiver Parenting. We're your hosts, Lydia and Stephen Braun. And here we talk about the importance of parenting that takes God at his word so that when we face trials and oppositions and meet our enemies at the gate, we are prepared to do battle with the spiritual powers of darkness, demolishing strongholds and arguments as we take every thought captive for Christ. Well, we're here again. <laughs> and tonight we're going to be talking about having children in ministry. Yeah. And not meaning children in ministry like they're the ones ministering, but having a family while a pastor, pastor's wife, family, all of that, and what implications it has. <laughs> so did you want to start out with the scripture? Yeah. So I remember before, I'm just going to preface the scripture that we're going to talk about. And I remember before we were going to seminary and I was, I was preparing, I we, we knew that I had received the call into pastoral ministry and we were doing a study on the pastoral epistles and just looking through the qualifications of becoming a minister. And I remember reading through first Timothy and through Titus and, and doing some deep studies on that and just feeling kind of the weight of those calls. And we had just had our first daughter at the time. She was, she was really little and uh, I remember reading through First Timothy 2, and it talks about the qualifications and it has specific things that it says about family. And I was just thinking about, wow, that's a, that's a weighty call on, you know, all, all these qualifications, all these things that says to be a minister, but also like there's a picture of what that's supposed to be in the family. And that, that was really what, what struck me. And really was weighty to me of going, wow, that's that's something that isn't really not to be entered into lightly. So we're, we're just going to read through that. Um, sorry, First Timothy 3. Uh, <clears throat> it is a trustworthy saying, if any man aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a good work. An overseer then must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, temperate, sensible, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but considerate, peaceable, free from the love of money, leading his own household well, having his children in submission with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to lead his own household, how will he take care of the church of God and not a new convert so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation of the devil? And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church, so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. It goes on to say as well, Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not indulging in much lying, not fond of dishonest gain, but holding to the mystery of the faith, which is with a clear conscience. And it says, Deacons must be husbands of only one wife, leading their children and their own households well. Just prior to receiving the call to ministry, I remember that we were on a, a trip visiting a church. I was I was candidating for a position as a minister of music, and we we had just been going through these studies of these books, and the pastor had a family that just did not reflect that at all. And I remember that kind of stood out. And uh, there's some some big issues that we were confronted with in that space. And I just remember thinking about, wow, how 
how critical it is to have your house in order in order to be a healthy minister of the flock of God's people. Not saying it's easy in any way, but when you're already starting on a uh, un what is it not solid foothold, um, how can you lead the church of God? Yeah. So as we went to Pittsburgh, oh my gosh. Ah, so which part do you want to talk about first? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we're really gearing up to the the conversation that happened when I was going through these examinations in ordination. And the question came up of children mm-hmm. in our family. And, you know, and it's a good question of how, how is your family on board with you becoming a minister? And how are, how are you going to handle the balance of being a minister and having children? And the question arose in, in the midst of the discussion, someone asked me, who was on the, the examining board, is it wise to have so many children in ministry? Meaning to have more. They weren't saying, let us get rid of one of the ones we had. <laughs> well, was, the question was, how are you going to provide for them? Like one, one, of them was like, one of them was on the tangible side of things. How are you going to monetarily provide for a big family on a ministry salary and... You know, how are you going to be able to support spiritually, emotionally, having lots of kids? And the, the question was asked, are you willing to have lots, of, like how many kids are you willing to have? And I had said as, as many as God gives to us. And then that was the follow-up question of, is it wise to have so many children in ministry? And I responded with the question, with the response of, I don't think wisdom would ask that question because the one who is himself wisdom says that children are a blessing and blessed is he whose quiver is full of them. That didn't go over very well. It didn't. (laughs) (laughs) But, But it's led to something for us that we've continued to discuss because... Really, that 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 train of thought, especially when it comes to families in ministry, I think is really pertinent within the church just mm-hmm. in across America. I have seen that impulse in so many ways and in, in shapes and forms that there's it's seen that there's such a demand on the life of a minister that how how could they possibly have a large family and be a minister? And yet in history, we see that people have thrived Mm -hmm. having large families in ministry. Not saying that that's always the case. There's also examples of people who crashed and burned in that. But there are also families that I know of that I love and respect who are in ministry who have large families and their families are thriving and so i don't think it's a question of the number as to the quality of the family but rather is is there a good healthy family life to begin with and is that also being well supported or are ministers being put up on a pedestal and are they 
expected to give in such a way that they couldn't also give to their family. Mm-hmm. But I think it also, in, when that question was asked, it went back to the provision thing. Always asking, well, on a sal- the salary you have, how can you support all these kids? And I want to call back <laughs> to what Jesus says in Matthew. Do you see the birds? They don't store in barns, and yet I feed them. And somehow we have this idea, well, since God has given us knowledge and understanding, we are supposed to be smarter than the birds and not have as many kids because, therefore, we'll be able to take care of them. Because wisdom would say, you know, we need to be wise in how many kids we have. But that is not what he said. And it's very opposite of what the heart of God is. But one of the things that um, keeps coming up for us in all of the different aspects of ministry we've been in is how many uh, pastors have had vasectomies. Like straight up had a vasectomy. I didn't want my wife to have any more uh, strain on her. I couldn't handle any more kids. Um, It would have been too much for me in ministry. But I want to call to mind a story that has been made a profound impact on our lives. And that's the story of George Mueller. And George Mueller was a pastor. He was a German man who uh, migrated, I don't know, God called him to England. And he was there during the time of Dickens, the time of uh, A Christmas Carol, and all of the The horrible- Industrial Revolution England with all the terrible things that were happening with child labor and- just death the, the yeah. terrible shape of families that were being devastated and this is a topic that i keep having people say to me all the time just as a side cliff note um that it, how can i bring in children into this dark evil world uh this is a dark evil world throughout all of history there is no difference between industrialized england and now it is the same evil that has permeated the world since the garden there is no difference. It just takes, takes different forms and shapes. But for this time, George Mueller went to England and he was a pastor and he was serving his, his parish well. He was married. He didn't have any children of his own at the time because God hadn't blessed them with children. And as he walked around the city, he kept noticing these street children and he kept being like, Lord, provide something for them. And in that time, God had been pricking his heart because before he even became a pastor, and before he came to know the Lord, he was a thief. He was well-to-do, and he would steal from his father, who was a wealthy man. That's what he did. He was extremely good at uh, swindling people out of money. <laughs> that was what he did. And then God saved him, and God put him on this path of saying, I am going to use your life to show that I feed my children. And he kept seeing these orphans on the street saying, Lord, would you provide for them? And then he kept feeling this urge and he wrote it down. Okay, Lord, I feel this great need that there's a home that needs to be built for these kids. And so I'm going to lay it before you. If you provide these funds, I will do it. Within a week, all of the funds appeared. And he didn't do any fundraising. And he did no fundraising. Because the Lord had called him to a season before that saying, I want you to trust me that I truly am the God who provides and that I'm going to do it through my provision and not not Mm -hmm. through your own and so there were seasons when he did odd jobs in support of putting himself through seminary and things like that and there were seasons when just gifts would would come in spontaneously yeah he trusted the lord throughout that 
And again, the story that I shared with my, of my mom seeing in seminary, where she saw this couple from Africa who came with the, the clothes on their back to go both study, uh, one of them study at Ted's uh, uh, in Deerfield, Illinois, while the other one was at home with the children and saying, Lord, if you bless us with more children, we, we trust that you'll provide for us. And God did every single semester that they did not go into debt. God provided just what they needed and their faith grew. And so in that same, and, and he gave them children. And so in that same way, he was trusting the Lord. And then all of a sudden, all this money came and he told his, his parish, God has given me this passion to care for these kids. I don't want anyone to be sharing this, trying to raise money. I want people to pray for us. And if God leads you to do something, I want you to do what he tells you to do. And they brought clothing, they brought furniture, they filled this whole house up and they had children come and more children come to the point where it was, they couldn't stay in the house. The renter said, the landlord said, you have to get out of here within the month. God provided the space for them to build this huge orphanage. He never asked for any money never asked for a dime and God would have the milkman, his, uh, what is it? Wagon break down in front of them when they had no food and, uh, offer them the milk that was there because they couldn't get it to where it was supposed to be. And the bread, the baker say, God can, compelled me last night to make all this bread and they had no food in the house. And he said, he wrote down every single answer to prayer and when it happened. And what ended up happening is he served over how many? 10,000? It was, yeah, several 10, thousand. 000, yeah, several thousand children in his lifetime. And then others continued his ministry, but without asking for a dime. He got millions of dollars that God gave to him because he said, I want people to know that God feeds the orphans and the widows. It is him. He feeds his children. And he trusted him and said, Lord, I know you'll do this. And he went through several losses. His wife died. He remarried. His other wife died. Lots of different difficulties. And even Dickens came and saw his houses because he had heard of them saying, there's no way they're actually treating the children this well. And guess what? They were being treated well. They had lessons. They were fed. And Dickens said, this is the most wonderful thing I've ever seen. Yeah. And you think about all the generations of lives that were changed from that work from all the thousands of children they served and and all the people who saw that around them in the midst of the darkness of what was happening to all the kids on the streets of of england at that era um just profound and i also think of the the missionary hudson taylor who was profoundly impacted and inspired by the work of george Mueller in his radical faith and trusting in god's provision and how that led to the gospel spreading deeper into China than it had ever gone before. Yeah. And the, it's work that has lasted for generations in trusting the Lord to provide and faithful men stepping out in faith in the ministry that God called them to and, and living that out. Yeah. And Believing that God is the one who provides and believing that children are a blessing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's profound when we take God at his word. And I think that in ministry, you, you can't have a truly successful ministry in the kingdom of God 
without taking God at his word. Amen. It can appear really successful in the eyes of the world. Uh, maybe you can get really big notice of things, but that lasting generational impact, uh, it's, it's something that is far deeper when it's rooted and grounded in the word of God. But as we go back to what we talked about last week, talking about how children are not welcome in the service, why would they be welcome at all if the pastor isn't willing to have them? Or, or welcome to have or them. Or welcome to have them. Yeah. And I think that that's the thing. It's, it's, a, it's a cultural thing that's been laid onto the church that children aren't seen as an asset yes. to the kingdom of God. And so, you know, we're more concerned with the, the success of the church. And that means that the, the pastor's family has to Go on the back look burner. a certain way. And, you know, we, we want them, we want the, the two and a third kids are now actually the, the national average is one and a third kid. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and the pastor's wife to, you know, do all the things and show up for all the events, but you know, God forbid their kids actually are kids, are kids and, <laughs> and are presence in God's house. And I go back to what Jesus says, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. And it, and then this passage here where it says, but if a man does not know how to lead his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? How can you lead a household? Well, if you're not willing to have the members of the household if you're if you're rejecting the members of the household by not having children how can you lead that household well if you're cutting the household apart yeah but then things like not not going to get political but just real what happened in 2020 with the church we're going to split up the head and the foot we're going to put the foot and the hand and the eyeball in different rooms because it's not safe for the body to be together What happens to the body when it's split up? It dies. The organ that was taken away from the head dies. That is how it works. And in the same way for the church with family, with Christ, like unless Christ is the center, we're going to all die. And we must keep what he says as most important, not what we feel in a certain time or because of fear. And one of the things when he's talking about um, how to... Uh, how to lead a household, something that they said in there was that their children should submit to them with all reverence. Was that reverence? I can't remember if it was reverence. But what I want to talk about that is I grew up in a home where we were expected to obey. But something I want to call out here is when they talk about submission, they're not talking about action, like what they do. They're talking about an action of the heart. Meaning it's a submission that he has trained his children up in the way they should go so that when they are old, they do not depart from it. Not that if they act out, they are somehow um, not submitting. I think this idea of submission, that comes from a, a heart posture of desiring the father. That the father has the child's heart. It's not, you are going to do what I told you to do, and if you don't, you're going to get it. It's an aspect of like, my son, give me your heart for the heart is the wellspring of what is it? Knowledge. 
And you will, everything in your life will come from what is happening in your heart. And if the father is so busy with doing the quote, important work of the church and unwilling to look at the needs of his household, he is not worthy to be a pastor. That's what this passage says. And again, the issue comes down to what we consider important work. I just had this conversation with a woman who said, I don't want to have any more children because I want to be able to be, um, what's the word, productive in my life. I want to be able to do certain things and I won't be able to if I have more children. But what does God call productive? Yeah, I I think about that, that in the life of a minister, there's, there's an idea of what is productive. And I... You know, it, it's the things that you see up front. It's, you know, you got to preach a good sermon, pastor, and you got to, you got to, you know, have those, those counseling sessions and whatnot. And then from the pastor's perspective, it's like, I have to run this business. I mean, really, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I hate to be crass like that, but there, there's just a lot of business involved in it of the all the aspects of the finances and keeping things running and paying the bills and, and all the, you know, paperwork and bookkeeping and, and, uh, the board and and everything that goes along with it. There's just a lot of household maintenance type things that are in the role of pastor. And it's just like, you got to do all these things, but that's, it's really funny because actually we think about that and, uh, you go back to the picture of Acts, and it, I, I'm thinking about the when when the office of deacon was first installed, and you have that the certain uh, widows in the church aren't getting their their share from uh, the offerings to them for the poor, and you have the apostles saying, "We need to appoint people to you know do this this tangible work here because we've been dedicated to." The word of God to preach the word of God and how much of the pastor's role gets taken up doing all these administrative stuff when their role is to administer the word of God, not, not run a business. I mean, really yeah. like, but, but that's just the, the modern fixture of a nonprofit organization that is called the church that comes with that. And, you know, so put, put those hats together and, you know, you got to be the, the one who's bringing people in. You have to be the evangelist who's out there on the streets growing the church. You have to be the, the, the pioneer planter and, oh yeah, your, your family needs to look good on Sunday morning too. Mm -hmm. And you can quickly see how the heart just disappears from that. And really at some point, something has to give yeah and all too often it ends up being the family of the pastor that gets put on the back burner and as paul says here if your family's not being taken care of how could you possibly take care of the house of god well paul's not saying this to be mean he's not saying this like oh well you better take care of your house he's saying how can you possibly take care of the spiritual needs of God's people if your family's spiritual needs are not being met? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And thinking back to when I was um, very young, 
my dad was a an assistant pastor at a church and i remember the great weight that my mom felt um from all the people at the church of like you're, you're done having kids right and she continued to have these questions asked my dad didn't care that much because he thought it was kind of funny because he liked to um what's the word he liked to challenge people's thoughts <laughs> in gentle but firm ways so but one of the things that would happen is on Sunday mornings, mom would come with all of us kids. We'd sit in the front row. She learned and trained us how to be quiet and to be respectful in the service, either with a little book that we would read or if we had quiet books or their little felt um, animals or stories of the Bible that we would play with, like Jonah and the Whale, all those different ones. And um, when the sermon happened, my dad broke the protocol of sitting up front and he would walk down and sit with us. And people were not happy about it, but they just kind of had to deal with it. But that question of why, why not? Like what, what is so important to sit up front as opposed to sitting with your family? Because the whole purpose of church, the church is the body of Christ. It's family, but we don't treat the church as family. Instead, we have really loud music so no one can hear us sing. And then we go and have coffee so we can have comfort food so that we can stay awake for a service for an hour and then leave. That is not what I hope your family looks like. Because if your family looks like that, you will have no relationship. So asking why are the functions in our church put that way? Because they don't aren't designed to care for family and they're not designed to build up the family of God. And I, I was thinking about the passage where Paul is saying, he's, he's talking about this in, in terms of uh, provision for a minister's family. But he says, you know, is it, 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 is it just me and Barnabas? Are we the only ones who aren't allowed to have a family? You know, Peter has a family. The, the other apostles can have a family, but for some reason we can't. And so I think that that kind of that impulse is there from a a congregation to desire to leech. I'm going to say that it's kind of a rude thing to say, but to desire to leech from the minister yeah. and not have those proper boundaries in place and respect for, for the families and to, to take more than what's given. And so I think that kind of where where I, I want us to really focus in on here and kind of our, our, our main message that we're trying to say here is, are we as the body of Christ leaving space for our those who are shepherding us, who are shepherding our families, are we leaving space for them to care for their families? Are we leaving space for their families to thrive? Because if their family thrives... We as the church are going to thrive too. If we see the children of our shepherds as blessings and speak that over them, our children will be blessings too. Mm -hmm. And it starts with us. And I think that, you know, if you're, if you're listening to this podcast and you have that heart for having a full quiver, for having... As many children as God has for you, whether it's your own flesh and blood or through adoption or, or spiritual children of the faith, I think it's really, really powerful 
for you to speak that encouraging word and blessing over the shepherds of your family and to bless their families and show them that it is good. Because a lot of times I think that it's it's fearful to have kids. And again, that response that is you you shared earlier there's so many there's so many pastors that we know there's so many pastors that we know that they have had vasectomies and it's you know my wife couldn't handle it i couldn't handle more kids and be in ministry that's not the point and and really that i think that that's a cry for help and saying it's too, the burden is too great and so i had to i had to cut something off And like literally cut something off. Mm -hmm. And that is just not the picture that God has. So as we close, I wanted to offer a few um, ideas. So one is... (laughs) as, As a mom, we get all the different comments of like, wow, you have your hands full. Dear friends, that's not really a helpful statement. Like, Really? That I can't believe you noticed. I mean, what what are you supposed to say? It's just funny. Like, are those all your kids? All those type of different statements or wow, I could never handle it. Instead of saying those things, what if we started changing that instead of seeing saying it in a space of focusing back on us? What instead would it look like to say things like you're doing a great job or looking them straight in the eye and saying, God sees your work and sacrifice. Thank you for being faithful to him with your children. Imagine what kind of powerful impact that would have on someone in their day. You are doing important work. Thank you for your faithfulness to the Lord with your children. You will reap a harvest. It is coming. Continue to persevere. My mom says, going through seminary, getting an MDiv and getting married getting an MRS were hard, but MOM was way harder. And she said, because that's where you are in boot, like you're in the field. You're no longer in theoretical field of getting an MDiv where you talk about what the work of God looks like. Instead, you're doing it and you're getting your hands dirty and you're cleaning up puke on the floor and you're cleaning those diapers again. And your whole body... <laughs> is being engulfed in this ministry of service. It's like, um, what is her name? I'm totally, uh, Mother Teresa, when someone said, I couldn't do this for a million dollars. And her, as she was washing the feet and body of a, a child who had been completely like in disgusting circumstances, having his own uh, feces on him, everything. And the guy said, I couldn't do this for a million dollars. And her response was, neither could, neither would I, but I'm doing it because why? <laughs> because my Lord did it for me. So that's the same image that we're offering to the world as we do these mundane tasks. So I would just want to encourage you, find someone in your life this week or today and intentionally start the practice of encouragement saying, I see you, God, but more importantly, God sees you and he loves you and your work in the Lord is not in vain. That was something spoken over us this this week, last week, that the, the work that we're doing in the Lord is not in vain. Nothing is wasted. 
So encouraging you in that. And again, as we seek the Lord to be the provider of everything we need, our, our energy, finances, that he provides, he truly does in all circumstances. And that there's a reason, we have this on our mirror, there's a reason for this and it's good. Whatever the circumstance, there's a reason. God sees. Even if he decides to, I mean, bless us with, I don't know, 20 kids or whatever, that there's a reason for it and it's good and that he has a purpose in all of it. And not to start going, oh man, I wasn't wise. No, who can create life but God alone? If God alone is the only one who can create life, then obviously it wasn't a mistake. Instead, it's a blessing. Yeah. And I said one final question for you before we close out here, and that is having been in the position of being a pastor's wife who had a lot of kids, who has a lot of kids, what what is the encouraging word and things needed for a pastor's wife in that space to encourage them to press on and to bolster them up and encourage them? Um, walking alongside instead of talking about it. Like there's one thing when someone just says, oh, I see you're really struggling. I want to say you're doing a great job. And then they walk away and you're like, that was really helpful. Thank you. I mean, I appreciate your concern, but there is no, like, I had one circumstance. Here's the circumstance. I ended up in the front row for a service and my little baby had a bottle and she dropped it on the floor and it shattered everywhere because it was a glass bottle and she cut her finger. And I had two other children. Steven's laughing here because he totally remembers this. And he didn't see it either because he was trying not to focus on it because where we were, it was like, you're not supposed to pay attention to what's happening. You're not supposed to help your wife because you're supposed to be, you know, in this performance place. It's so weird. Anyway, sorry, no offense. But that was what was happening. She broke the glass a thing and then cut her finger. So now her finger, like, the whole side of her finger is bleeding and it's everywhere. And I'm going, oh my gosh. Okay. I have a one-year-old. I have a three-year-old and I have a four-year-old. So I have to leave the three-year-old and the four-year-old in the front row to take my one-year-old to the bathroom to stitch up her finger, basically, and <laughs> clean up the glass in the front row. Meanwhile, everyone behind, I'm trying to do this, you know, discreetly so that no one is, you know, distracted. distracted. Oh my gosh. Anyway, distracted or inconvenienced by my children oh oh anyway i'm just like when i say that but it's true that's exactly it's this pressure of like how dare you take away from the importance of what's being preached anyway sorry it's yeah distracted from the worship in the house of god but jesus you know that's what the disciples do we got to keep the kids away because we don't want to distract jesus and the people are listening to jesus and he says let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for such the kingdom of all to such as these. Yes. Yeah, so I'm in the front row doing this whole thing and <laughs> I get her cleaned up and I'm going, Lord, please keep my two children in the front row and whatever. I come back. No one was with them. No one had volunteered seeing that I had any kind of need. They just let them sit there. Unfortunately, my kids stayed there. And I had one woman come up to me afterwards being like, I can't even, it's like, it's good to see you or something. She said something and I was about to just like cry and be like, oh my gosh, it was so difficult. She didn't say anything. It was as if I was invisible and all the circumstance that I was experiencing was 
Like no one saw it. Somehow it miraculously made all the glass in the floor disappear, all the blood. And I was cleaning blood off of the chairs. Like, and I'm sitting there and it was like, thank you. And they walked away and I'm sitting there as everyone's leaving, crying, wiping up this blood off of the seats. And no one looked or cared. And maybe that was their way of letting me feel like I had done a good job. I have no idea. But it's those moments where it's like, I am invisible. No one sees and no one cares. So in those moments, even in those other ones, like what would it look like to say, hey, could I sit with your kids not to distract them, but to help them, but to help you and to say, these children are so valuable to the Lord. Thank you for being here. Or um, creating space for the wife to hear the word preached in the pulpit once in a while because the truth is I wasn't hearing anything that was being said because I was working so hard to keep and maintain an appearance that was foolish as opposed to letting my children be because at other times we had been told oh don't sit in the front row because it's distracting for everyone you don't want to have your kids there but why wouldn't I want to have my children in the front row so that they could pay attention yeah because really I mean that was something I was just posting today was that having kids in the front row we found actually they do the best yes in anywhere in the church because they don't have other people that are fidgeting around moving in front of them they they you know and they're right there you think about where do kids sit when they're watching tv right in front they of the sit TV. right in front of the tv because <laughs> they want to be right where, where things happening you know story time with the kids like they want to be on your lap reading the book yeah. So why wouldn't they, if they're in the house of God, why wouldn't they want to be up there where the action is? Why wouldn't they want to be there right at the beginning? I mean, what would it look like in the church to have all the children sitting right in front of the pulpit? And what would it look like for the pastor to actually preach a sermon that children could understand so that the parents could understand it too? But yeah, that's a, that's another <laughs> thing too. But um, yeah, so no, I think that that's just so important. I like I, I love what you said there. Just the that how a pastor's wife like it can be, it's such a visible role. But at the same time, the person themselves can be invisible. And I think it's the same thing with the children. They can be scrutinized, but they themselves can be so invisible. And I think that that's why so often you know, pastors' kids, it's one of the worst statistics mm-hmm. in terms of children that fall away from the faith pastors kids are they are notorious for leaving the faith and i think it's because they grow up never truly belonging belonging is a part of the body of christ yeah in in how it lives and functions instead it's just this performance role and you know so why wouldn't the the ministry family feel pressured of like well i can't have more kids because you know, I can only teach so many to perform and it's just, uh, it's a vicious cycle that way that just needs to be broken down. We are the body of Christ. We are the family of God. He's called us sons and daughters. And he says, let the little children come to me. We need to leave space for the children of ministers to come to him and to be allowed into the world. And one of the ones that I always love is in the triumphal entry when the Pharisees are yelling, teacher, rebuke your disciples and these little children who are praising, you know, praising you as the Messiah. And he says, if they don't cry out, the stones will. 
the Lord inhabits the praise of his people. And he also says that he, uh, the, his praise is on the little infant's lips. Like he has created another generation yet to be born to praise him. And he's the one who does it. And what better picture than to have the little children be the ones first to praise him and to learn to delight in praising him. I remember there was a uh, African children's choir who came to our church and it's always stuck with me. It was the most powerful uh, thing I've ever seen. And they preached the gospel in song and dance and told the story of their parents who were headhunters and how they heard the gospel and were transformed. And now these little children are going around the world proclaiming the wonders of Jesus. And at the end of their ser- the the service, I don't even know what to call it, the uh, worship service, basically, they went to every, they went down every row and they gave a hug to every single person. One child hugged, uh, like every, sorry, every person got a hug from a kid in that. And I remember internally wanting to weep because it was such a picture of what God has done that the innocence of children speaks to us because it's blessed are the little children that God wants them close to him. And they're also the ones to shine brightest, his glory and worshiping him. You see him in children. And that's one of the reasons the devil hates them and wants them put aside in the church because that there's power in those little lives singing God's praises at the top of their lungs because that's what he wants. And it's teaching and reminding us adults that we are to worship and have faith like little children. Not once you get to a certain age, you've arrived and now have figured out how to worship me. No, actually, now you have to unlearn everything you learned and go back to being a little child in the just joyful ecstasy of worshiping me. That's what I want. I want you to come to me because you love me, not because you think that the way that you're acting or behaving is going to somehow get brownie points with me. Instead, I want the kid who's been rolling on the floor screaming. I want that kid. Ah, so. (laughs) That's good. That's good. So if you, if you are a, a family that's in ministry, I just want to encourage you, press on, receive the gifts of God, receive the blessing of children. He sees you. Wives, you are not invisible and your work matters. Your Husbands. Children matter. Husbands, have courage, mm-hmm. have courage and take care of your household well because it comes first. If your household is not in order, how could you expect to minister mm-hmm. to and, God's people well? And take the brunt instead of giving it to your wife because your wife is the one asked all the questions. Let you have the husband be the one to answer all those questions. Because there was something that my mom said God used deeply in her. After I was born, I had a brother named Matthew who my mom miscarried. And she had had such great pressure from the church saying, oh, you have two boys and two girls. You're done, right? And she's like, they never actually said you're done right. But every single time, you know it when people are telling you something. Oh, you have the perfect family. Oh, that was an oops. Oh, you have two boys and two girls. That's a beautiful family. Like, you better stop. And when she got pregnant with my brother and miscarried him, God said to her, it doesn't matter, does it? And she said, no, it doesn't. God, please bless me with another one before I'm not able to have children. And my brother was born two months before my mom turned 43. 
And she said, I prayed for this baby because I understood the deep love of God in giving me another child, but also that that's what's important to him. Life is important to him. These outside external pressures from people, the fear of man will prove to be a snare, snare, but he who trusts in the Lord is kept safe. And that has been so deeply ingrained into me as a child, now seeing as an adult saying that's what's important. So we're going to invest into what's important in God's economy, not man's. And you know what? He's going to provide exactly what we need because he has done it and he will continue to do it because he's promised. And he loves when we take his name and we actually speak back to him what he promised. Like, Lord, you promised. You said that children are a blessing and you said, blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. And we do not have the income right now to be able to take care of the children that you are blessing us with. So we know that you provide for the children and we ask you in your name, in your powerful name, that you will provide because you said you will. And we're taking you at at your word and we're waiting to see what you do in anticipation as opposed to, I hope he is who he said he is. He is who he said he is or he's not. So we either believe him or we don't. Yeah. And God is only in a hurry for two things. Two things. Hurry to deliver his people and in a hurry to celebrate when his lost sheep come home. Yes. He does it just in the right time. Mm-hmm. He's not surprised by our circumstances. We just get impatient. Yeah. So go live out that picture Receive the blessings of God. Encourage others to receive the blessings of God because it's so important. Children are so valuable. Thank you for listening to Full Quiver Parenting. If you enjoyed today's podcast, we'd love for you to leave a comment and a review. Remember, a full quiver is not a number, but a spirit of openness to welcome the children God gives us, whether of our own flesh, through adoption, or of spiritual descent. To get more involved in our community, join our group Full Quiver Parenting on Facebook. See you next time.